letter to Galatians. It's a letter of grace, and we've been talking about it. Now, I want to begin today with a little something different, not straight into a review of what we've gotten thus far. I want to talk to you about a fella from Florence, Italy. This fella, Francesco del Giacondo, this fella from uh, uh, Florence, Italy, uh, was a fairly well-to-do guy. Uh, he made his money uh, basically importing women from North Africa, by and large Moorish women, and selling them into slavery. <clears throat> he was alive in the 1400s, the latter part of the 1400s, and among the women he would collect, he didn't sell them all into slavery. Uh, he, he, one of them he married. Her name was Lisa. And he married Lisa... And Lisa, we don't know a ton about her. We know she had a miscarriage in 1499. Um, uh, we know she had uh, gave birth in like 1501 or 2. I could have my dates wrong. But we also know her because in 1503 she posed for some art fella down the street. And he painted her. And Lisa or Mona Lisa, as you may know her, is the most popular painting in the Louvre. 80%, it's estimated, 80% of the people who go to the Louvre go to see this painting. Now, I have been accused of being um, uh, a bit type A in my life. Uh, Mel, Mel, watch it. Now, your name, Mel, is Latin for honey, so you need to sweeten up, buddy. Now, um, I have been known in my life to be a little type A. And I found myself one time in, in Paris for a day. And I told Becky, we can do the world in a day. And she said, well, you know, let's find something and do it right. I said, no, we've got to hit the Eiffel Tower. We've got to hit the Louvre. And we've got to buy a crepe and eat it. And we've got to walk by the Seine. And we've got to go see Notre Dame. And she said, well, you can't do all of that in a day. The Louvre alone takes a week. I said, no, nope, we can do the Louvre in 45 minutes. She said, how did we do the Louvre in 45 minutes? I said, before we go, we identify where is the Mona Lisa, where is the statue of David, and where is one other thing that, that we needed to see. And I said, we hit it, we see those, we leave. We go from there to da, pa, 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 pa. So you want to do Paris in a day? I am tour guide Barbie for you, okay? But I'm telling you, 80% of the people go to see this painting. And I, I, I'm not an artist, I don't, I don't know art, but you know, he used the Flemish technique in some regards, but he was, uh, Leonardo, this was the first one to really go almost down to the waist 
on a portrait like this and to put it in the landscape. And the landscape is significant because it's at eye level for her. And artists will tell you about how her smile is melancholy and yet engaging and how he's got her eyes designed to where it doesn't matter where you are, it looks like she's looking at you and she's following you everywhere. It's a painting, and it's marvelous. And I love paintings because paintings convey messages. Paintings aren't simply photographs. Even photos can convey messages. But the idea behind an artistic painting is to convey something more than simply a word. We can say, Lisa Giacondo, or we can say, Mona Lisa, and you can picture it, but to see it is to do more than just words. So, it's not that different today. Last night at dinner, we were talking to Rebecca. Rebecca has been, uh, uh, she's finishing up her master's, and one of her jobs this semester has been as a teaching assistant. And so she taught a class, uh, uh, an undergraduate class, that was on rhetoric or communication. And as she was regaling us with stories of her material, she mentioned that she had taken the class when she was an undergraduate or a similar class. And that one of her textbooks was Make America Meme Again. Now, some of you may not know what a meme is. A meme is a picture with a slogan. A meme is, so he, let me give you an example. Who says teaching is stressful? I'm 39 and I feel great. <laughs> now, you could just say those words, but when you combine them with a picture, they've got a little bit of punch. By the way, I think it was mainly teachers who just laughed at that because I was looking at you. Here's another example. The moment when you see your boss on the golf course after you've called in sick. <laughs> Another meme. How people who own an air fryer look at people who don't have one. Now, if you don't have an air fryer, you don't understand that picture. But I've been around people, including one of our daughters, who think that if you don't have an air fryer, you are not in the 21st century. Pictures. Pictures can motivate. Pictures can communicate. Pictures can captivate. I didn't plan that. They can motivate. I can't remember that. They can captivate. They can educate. I don't think I had that eight in there. There are probably eight of those things that pictures can do. But we need to hold on to that today because today in Galatians, we've got from Paul three pictures of the law. And so we're going to look at his pictures today and we're going to try to bring them to life with a little bit of help from PowerPoint. But if we look at these pictures... They will help us make sense of, of Galatians 3, verses 21 through 25 as we continue our deep dive into this book. And so, let's do it. Now, if we understand the context of class, it's, it goes like this. 
you can take all of the rules and all of the laws and all of the commandments and all of the things you know you should or should not be doing before God. You can take that whole list of things you ought to be doing and things you shouldn't be doing. You can add all of those together. All of the rules and laws for living that you want. And doing them, or not doing them, won't save you. It will not make you not guilty before God. There's not a person in here who can, main, uh, who can get their salvation by keeping rules. Not only that, not only will it not get you saved, it won't keep you saved. It's not, okay, I'm saved by grace of God through faith. I'm saved by the death of Christ. But man, I've got to keep doing these things or I'm going to hell. That earn it mentality is not valid in this picture, in this scenario. And Paul has said that. He said over and over and over again that the reason you're saved is what Jesus said. That God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes. That verb, pistuo, in the Greek is the same word as faith. It's just the verb form instead of the noun form. Whoever believes, whoever has faith, whoever trusts in Christ won't perish but will have eternal life. Now, Paul takes that and Paul says it this way. Christ died for our sins. He was resurrected. And those who trust in him join his resurrection. We don't perish. We have eternal life. Christ isn't resurrected for a day, a week, a month, a year. He's resurrected for eternity. And we share in that. So we have eternal life in him. Through his death, burial, and resurrection. Now Paul took an ordinary Greek word and used it for this message, this idea to communicate this truth. And that word, as we've discussed over and over, is translated gospel. It's euangelion in the Greek. Gospel. So for Paul, the gospel is this message. Christ died for our sins. He was resurrected. And those who trust in him join that resurrection. We live eternally in Christ. That's his gospel message. And so within the flow of this book, Paul has been concerned. And he started out, we started out with, by the way, that would be translated good news. But this is the good news. Paul started out and said, this is serious. He said, pay attention. He said, if there's anybody who's going to add anything or take anything away from my gospel, if anybody preaches to you any good news other than that, they're cursed. Because you can add up all of the laws and all of the rules and they'll never save you and they'll never keep you saved. And that good news, that gospel, is, is not just true, it's authentic, Paul said. He said he got it from Jesus. It's God's power to make you holy and to make you right. 
It's the center of your life. It's what you should live out of. You need to focus on living that. You need to personalize that and see it as you. Anything else, he says, is foolish. And that was the passage that Pastor David preached on. He says, oh foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before your eyes, Christ was portrayed as crucified. Jesus, I told you the gospel. I told you he died for you. I told you you're going to heaven. Not going to heaven is not the right language here. Excuse me, Larry. He's going to shoot me an email on that and be right. Uh, That is the basis of you're not guilty. And Paul says, if that's how you got saved, are you trying to keep your salvation by doing rules? That's stupid. You keep your salvation the same way you got it. God, when you got it, he gave it to you. It's yours. You trusted in Jesus. That's where it came from. That was it. Yeah, sorry, I duped an old slide. So last week I talked about how the justice of God is important and and that the gospel, this Christ died for our sins, isn't just, um, you know, when I was a kid I thought, well, what's the big deal? Okay, this is true confessions. I was a kid. I thought if it was that big a deal for Jesus to die for our sins, why didn't God do it another way? There's not another way that's consistent with the character of God. God is a just God. He can't take an eraser and erase your sins without some penalty being paid for your sins. Not just some penalty, the right penalty. And it's not the death of a bull or a goat. It's got to be the death of a human. And it's got to be a death of a pure human, an unblemished human, a human without sin. And you're never going to find that unless it's God himself. So this is the just uh, gospel. It's a just message. It's a not guilty that's not based on a a flim-flam judge who's on the take. It's based on a righteous judge who does it righteously. So, within the framework of that, it left probably some of Paul's readers asking, okay, now you've preached that and we got that, but then these other people came and said, no, 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 if that's the case, then the law is useless. What's Paul talking about? If that's the case, why did God even give the law? Paul can't be right. If the law can't make you righteous before God, God had no reason to give the law. And so Paul addresses that question. And Paul answers, what's the whole point of the law? And he does it with word paintings. So what I'd like to do today is look with you at three word paintings that Paul uses. And here's your first one. It is the word sunkleo. Sunkleo is, uh, this is the Greek S, the Greek U, the Greek G, K, but G, K, when you put them together, sound like N, G almost, or N, K. So it's just a pronunciation thing, but that's why it goes N, G here, or N, G, K, technically. Sunk, like, uh, yeah, sunk. 
And then L, E, I, and a long O. Sunkleo. Now, sunkleo is a beautiful word. And I want you to understand this word as a picture. Sunkleo, if you just look it up in the dictionary, will be defined as to catch by enclosing or hemming in or to confine or to imprison. And yeah, it's, it's legit, this idea of, of locking people up. But when we say imprison in a 21st century mindset, this might be the picture that comes to mind. And I don't think it really captures this as fully and adequately as I'd like to. I'd like to suggest to you this word in its core meaning is more the idea of putting cattle in a cattle pen. It's hemming them in. It's catching them. It's driving the cattle into their, 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 the corral. Anybody ever drive cattle into a corral? Okay, some of you. That's, that's this idea. That's this word. That's where you're, you're soon cleoing those cattle. You're hemming them in. You're putting them in there, okay? Now, you got that word picture in your brain? Let's look at the passage. Here's the passage. Is the law, then, contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. Meganoito. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, if you're reading that and it just sounds like gobbledygook, that's okay. In fact, I could have read it on this side and you could say, that's Greek to me. And you'd be right. But if we look at it carefully and we take it apart, it makes not only good sense, but it's a compelling picture that informs our understanding of God. And so I'd like to do that. Now, if you were here last week, you remember I put up a preposition box. You may want to have forgotten that I put up a preposition box, but I did it. And in that box, I talked about the difference in the prepositions. In the Greek, you've got into and away from, ek. And, and, and Paul was talking about how if you go into the law, like you go into the box, you're not going to find life there. You're not going to find not guilty there. You will not find the idea of being not guilty before God by jumping into the law box. But if you jump out of the faith box, that's where you will find the not guilty, the people who live out of the faith, faith box. And Paul used that grammatical concept last week and it comes back to us a little bit here because we're still in the same flow we're just wore out from last week so you get a new week you got sleep is the law then contrary to the promises of God did you give the law God in, in a way that contradicts your promises that's that's the idea that might have arisen because of Paul's enemies who came in and said 
oh, this saved by faith stuff. You know, you can't, you can't, that can't be the whole picture. Because if it is, then why did God give the law? Is the law really contrary to his promises? And Paul says, heavens no, certainly not. That's meganoito in the Greek is, is an emphatic, um, it, it's, it's just like, no way, not even close. There was a fellow who translated the Greek New Testament into Georgian farmer dialect for his Ph.D., it's called the Cotton Patch Version of the Bible. And he just translated everything into what it would be if you were a Georgian farmer. That was his language. So, you know, Jerusalem becomes uh, uh, Atlanta. Um, where it says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It says, can anything good come out of Valdosta? And so he just translated. Now, he translated this, meganoito, certainly not, as, um, I, I don't want to say it, but it's H-E-L-L, no. Because <laughs> that's the way a Georgian farmer would say it. Now, I'm not a Georgian farmer, so for me to say that, my mom would, would put me in time out, and I'm 60 years old. But... He, that, that's how strong it is. It's emphatic. Heavens no. Look, if a law had been given that could give life, agar and dothe, if a given law had the power, the dunamis, the ability to zoopoiesa is, is to make life. If it had the ability, if, it, if, if the law had the power to make life, if the law had the power to make life, then you'd get not guilty by the law. Then, ek, all of a sudden, out of the law, you could find not guilty. But it didn't have that power. All the rules in the world do not have the power to make you righteous. They just don't. It's not going to be by the law. If it could happen, that'd be dandy. But it can't happen. So he says, but there's a reason for the law. The scripture, the law imprisoned. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. What did I do? There. The law imprisoned everything under sin. Soon Eklason, uh, soon Eklason, yeah, soon Eklason. That's that's your verb. It hemmed it in, it corralled it. That's soon Kleo is the the general the the first form of it. It's just stretched out into an aorist and all the grammatical niceties, but that's the word. To catch by enclosing, hemming in, to confine. The scripture was given, yes, to imprison, but I like it better to corral you. That'll be the Texas, West Texas version of the Bible. It was, it was sent there to drive you in. The law corralled everyone under sin so the promise of not guilty could be out of the faith box. Paul says, let me give it to you in a different picture. Here's your picture. We're all dead. 
we're all under the wrath of God. We're, we're, look, we're sinners. God said, you eat the fruit, you die. We're all dead. Paul says, you're dead in your trespasses. We're dead. We're not sick. We're not mildly ill. We're not seriously ill. We're not in the ICU. We're in the morgue. We are dead. We are dead because we have fallen from our fellowship with God who is life. Say, well, for a dead man, I'm walking. Fine, you're a dead man walking, but you're dead. And that's our problem we've got. And that's where we live because we're all born of Adam and Eve. And they're dead. The day they ate of the tree, they died. They're just, they're just like, don't realize it yet. But this is the life that we have. It's a dead life. And it's a life that's destined for death, not for life. God is life. We are separated from God. And Paul says there's, there's a box almost that is the sin box where you realize, you come to an understanding, an ability to see that you're dead. This is where you can see you're dead. And the law God sent to corral you into the sin box to see you're dead. Okay, I almost did not make church over this slide, okay? That is not like, oh, gee, spend a minute, make a slide. Okay, this was like, we're doing it again. Watch. Oh. I, if I'd have been really good, enough of you in here are old enough to remember the Marlboro Man commercials. I could have used that theme music behind that, and it really would have added something, you know. Um, or, or maybe Bonanza. Dun 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 dun. Now that's what happened. That's what the law did. It corralled us into the sin box. It hemmed us in. It soon clawed us under sin, so that we could see this. Now the neat part about it is we're putting all this together into one big picture. Remember, there's a faith box. If you trust in the death of Christ, you come out of that. And so as we trust in Christ, as we put our faith in his resurrection, the good news is we are no longer in sin and death, but we have an ability to be restored to eternal life with God. We are not guilty. That's the picture image that Paul's painted. The scripture hemmed everyone in under sin. It corralled us into the sin box so we could see what it was. Because only if you understand you're a sinner, dead, not right with God, do you look to the death of Christ and say, please, I'd like that to count for me. I'm going to trust that. If you don't understand you're a sinner, you're kind of like, hey, 
Jesus died, yeah, that's a real nice thing. Don't need it. I'm doing okay. And God says, I want you corralled into that sin box to see your sin. Because that's when you see your need for a Savior. And so that's the first painting. You got it? Okay, well, let's continue through the Louvre. Second painting. Pedagogos. Pedagogos. P-A-I. Pi Alpha. Oh, today is Pi Day. Did y'all know that? It's 3.14. It's the 14th of March. So at is it three is Pi 3.1415? One which? 159. So at 159 this afternoon, it's not only 3.14, it's 3.14159. You are pi to the sixth digit? Fifth digit, just saying, it's the kind of thing, if you had not set your alarm early, you might not have known that. Pi, P, Alpha, Eota, Delta, Alpha, Gamma, Long O, Omega, G, O, Omicron, S. Pi to Gogos. Pi to Gogos. Accents at the end, sorry. Now, you may not know what a Pythagogos is. I'm going to show you a picture. Here's a picture from an ancient Greek piece of pottery. It's on display in a museum in Germany. This is Hercules. And right behind him is the Pythagogos. That's this fella back here. Now, we don't have a Greek-English dictionary written from the time of Paul. It's regrettable. It would have been really handy if we had had someone produce a Greek-English dictionary back then that said, here's our Greek word, and here's what it's going to mean 2,000 years later in America, in English, for Champion Forest Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. That would really, really have been handy. Not sure it would have sold that well back in the day, but it would really be handy for us. We don't have that. So when we want to know what a word like this means, we have to go back and look at all of the different ways it was used and how it was used will help us understand what it meant. So it's really interesting. The Pythagogos was a... a, 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 a Ah, okay, we're just going to have some fun. Here, first of all, it was a slave. It was not a free person. But the Pythagogos was a slave who had certain assignments and responsibilities. The slave took the boys to school. Now, when I say took the boys to school, there was a bit more than that. They would responsibly wake the boys up get the boys dressed, and then either lead or follow the boys to school. In fact, pida gogos, pida, this, this pied means child in Greek, and agogos comes from the Greek to lead. 
But as you see in the picture here, they didn't always lead by going in front of them. Sometimes they're behind them. We've got lots of pictures of pedagogoses, and sometimes they're carrying, holding them by the hand. Sometimes they've got an arm around the, their, their uh, responsible boy. But they took the boys to school. They not only took the boys to school, when the boys got sick, they would nurse the boys. Not from infancy, generally. Infancy, there was a nurse until an, an age where the nurse kind of hands the kid off to the Pythagogos. But we've got references of the Pythagogos with the kid getting sick. The Pythagogos is there to nurse the kid. The Pythagogos is to teach the kid the manners, how to behave, how to function in society. The Pythagogos helps the kid with his homework. Having trouble in school? Let me help you with your homework. Need some math help? Two plus two is four. Pi day, 3.14 and 159. You, you, you've got the Pythagogos there to help you with your homework. Now, a lot of people made fun of the Pythagogos as being a kind of a grumpy old man. Um, uh, and you can sort of see him here. That does not look like Johnny Friendly following Hercules. You know, he kind of looks sanguine, kind of looks grumpy, and definitely looks like an old man. But here's another picture of a Pythagogos sitting in on the lessons, the music lessons of his child he's in charge of. And so they're not always grumpy. So we can take grumpy off of there, and instead we'll just say that it lasted this stewardship this role of the slave, until the boy reached maturity. And once the boy reached maturity, the boy's on his own. That's the Pythagogos. That's what the Pythagogos did. Now, let's look at the Greek and the English. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law. We were Hemmed in, corralled, imprisoned. It's the same word. Soon kleomenoi, kleomenoi. We were imprisoned, hemmed in, corralled until the coming of that faith box would be revealed. And that's important. The coming would be apocalypse thenai, thenai. Um, even Abraham was saved by faith, but he, it wasn't until Christ died, was buried, and resurrected that the revealing of what we're trusting in God for was made manifest, how God would do it. So before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian Pythagogos until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a Pythagogos. For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. So this idea of the law is a picture image of the law as a Pythagogos. Now, how are your translators ever going to do justice to that? Some will translate it guardian. 
Some will translate it tutor. Some will translate it schoolmaster. Some will translate it variously. Some translate it paedagogos. Just tell you to go look it up. But the paedagogos was a slave, not a master, not a free man. A slave with a job to do. And that's what the law was. The law was not the master. It was a slave. It was, it was sent for a purpose. It had a job to do. It would wake you up. It would get you dressed. And it would take you to school. And in the law, we understand what sin is. We understand the need for atonement or being made right or being forgiven of our sins because we see sin for what it is we need to get dressed we need to to go to school and it's the 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 pedagogos that does this for us we get sick the pedagogos nurses us when we're sick I mean, the law does these things. You want to live righteous and holy before God? Don't do it to get saved. Don't do it to keep your salvation. That's just frustration city. It'll lead to pride or it'll lead to despair. But if you understand the law's there to nurse you when you're sick, you'll understand it's important to live right before God if you want to live a life of joy, a life of of prosperity, a life of goodness, a life in His will. It's, it's important for us to understand, you know, when, when I sin, uh, Janet and I were having this conversation about a fellow the other day who, who was, was just seems almost stuck into a, a, a sin pattern. And, 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 and I thought to myself, I thought, you know, the problem, because there but for the grace of God, not just go I, there I go. We're all stuck in sin problems, okay? Every one of us. If we put on our glasses and see it, we're all stuck in sin problems. But what I've got to realize is my sin hurts me. My, my sin makes me sick. My sin messes with my mind. My sin messes with my body. My sin messes me up. I mean, it doesn't mess up other people too because I'm in this world and I have reach. But it starts with me. And I don't want that mess. So I'm thankful that God reveals His will to me, that God shows me right from wrong. Not so I can earn my salvation, but so that I can live a victorious life. That's what the Pythagogos does. It teaches me my manners. Teaches me how to behave. Helps me figure out what I need to do. Helps me with my homework. Might seem a little grumpy at times. But all of this is what the Pythagogos does until... We reach that point. Okay, hold on. I have frozen my screen. There. 
reach that point where we've matured. We've still got the benefits of the Pythagogos, but we're not under the Pythagogos. We have matured. We have come of age. We are of the faith box. Make sense? That's your second painting. Here's your last painting before we go. In duo. In duo. In duo. What does in duo mean? It means to put clothes on someone. To get someone dressed. Um, we've got a 16-month-old grandson. Love every moment we get to spend with him. Uh, I went in when Gracie had COVID. And I... They, 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 they had to have someone take care of the child and our grandson. And I had already had COVID. So I was able to do it because I'm like, I'm antibodied up, you know. So I got to go to Boca all by myself. I got to go pick that boy up at 6.30 in the morning when he woke up. I took him to, to, to away from mama and and, and, and kept him myself until afternoon, evening. Do you know how cool it was? Do you know how fun it was? Gracie gave me the bag. I had diapers. I had toys. Turns out I had clothes in there too. Never occurred to me to take him out of his pajamas. <laughs> I returned him at the end of the day. In the same pajamas I picked him up in. Gracie was extremely grateful that I'd kept him for the day. JT was extremely grateful I'd kept him for the day. But Gracie said to me, Dad, did you never get him dressed? No. He and I got along fine. There wasn't a thing we did today we couldn't do in our pajamas. And so we did. And she said, please tell me you changed his diaper. I said, many times, many times. I just, you know, pull the drawers down, whop, 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 pull the drawers back up, ready to go. Never occurred to me to get him dressed. Never occurred to me to enduo him. But that's our painting picture. Here's the passage. Paul says, as many of you as were baptized... By the way, do you know the Greek word for baptized? Baptize. Baptizo. When they were translating the Tyndall version of the Bible, when Tyndall was, it was kind of like, oh, what are you going to do with this word? I mean, it means literally immerse. Okay? That's the Greek meaning is to, like, immerse. It wasn't always just some Christian formula. You, you want to jump in, in the water, you baptizo into the water. Okay? Well, that's not the jump part, but that's the end of the water part. It's immersed. For as many of you as were immersed into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. All of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, you're Abraham's offsprings and you're heirs according to the promise. Now, that verb in duo is here, have put on. It's a clothing word. You got dressed. When you were baptized into Christ, you got dressed in Christ. That's what you wear. Those are your clothes. Almost 
the last possible second to make it here in time for class today, I enduoed myself. I got myself dressed. I could have gotten here a little earlier with nothing on but the PowerPoint. <laughs> and nobody would have been happy and I'd have been arrested by now. But instead, you see a little of me, but mostly what you're seeing are my clothes. I had time to look at Becky before I left. Do I look okay? She said, you look okay. I had time to ask Rebecca on my way out. Do I look okay? You look okay. I wanted to make sure my clothes look good. Or at least okay. Because you're going to be having to stare at them for a while. But when you're looking at me, you're really looking at what I'm wearing. And Paul uses that as a picture image. He says, when you were baptized into Christ, you dressed in Him. God doesn't see Mel. God sees Jesus. You're wearing him. Hey, you don't show up at the pearly gates if there were such a thing. And him say, nah, Miss Hemphill, let me see. You've done this. You've done it. No. We don't panic, Mr. Hank. You're going to show up at the pearly gates. Hank, married to Miss Carolyn. Uh -huh, was in the military. Did uh, da, da. No. That's not what happens. It's the image, the picture, your Louvre painting is, oh, Jesus, Son of God, come right in this way. Oh, Mr. Johnson, no, it's not Pastor Johnson. It's, oh, I see your clothes. Jesus, Son of God, right this way. You've gotten dressed in Jesus. You're wearing Jesus. Jesus is who you look like in an eternal sense. That means something shocking and bizarre. It's not, huh, we got a Jew up here. Okay, let's see what the Jew's doing. Huh, we got a Greek up here. Let's see what the Greek's doing. No, you're both wearing Jesus. You're the same. It's not the kind of thing where, okay, let's see. <clears throat> got, a, got a male? Got a, no. Got a female? No. You're both wearing Jesus. You're the same. It's not the kind of thing where, where it's any division at all because you're all the same. You're all one. You're all the same in Jesus. And because you belong to Him, because you've put on Him, because you're dressed in Him, because you wear Him, you are Abraham's offspring because remember now this ties back up to the week that David was teaching but remember what Paul said or no maybe it was last week with me but it's kind of a both it was the passage that talks about how the offspring of Abraham is singular because the promise that life and righteousness and the worlds and the nations would be blessed through the offspring of Abraham was a singular promise of a singular heir. And Paul says, but that's now you because that singular heir is Christ. So you are the singular offspring. You are Abraham's offspring. Through you the world will be blessed. But also you're the heir to that promise that was given to Abraham through your offspring. It's a marvelous picture that comes from being clothed. So here we go. Points to ponder. Number one, 
recognize sin and the gospel. I need to see my own sin and I need to see that, that, that it, it is not what makes me right or holy before God. I am only right and holy before God because he has loved himself and given himself for me. And I am in Christ because I trust in him to save me. That's it. It's, and, 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 and when you feel under the weight of sin because of what you're doing in your life, you need to go back to this picture. And you need to say, God, I know I'm right with you through Jesus. I wish I wasn't sinning. I wish I had better manners. I wish I was doing better. Teach me, Lord. I don't want to be this way. I know this hurts me. But don't ever let it be confusing in your mind as to whether or not you're okay with God. He's in this struggle with you to empower you through his spirit to overcome sin. But you are, he's doing it with you already being saved. Point to ponder two. I'm going to learn from the law, but I'm going to remember its place. I'm going to mind my manners. I'm going to try to not show up at the queen's banquet and put my elbows on the table. I'm going to try to behave because it's important for me to do so both for me and for God's will on this earth. God's will unfolds most beautifully when we do what we're supposed to do. And that's true in our life and it's true in the greater place. And then finally, I want people to see me and I want them to see what I'm wearing. I want to be a good reflection of Jesus. I don't want people to look at me and say, hypocrite. Ah. I don't want to look, people to look at me and say, boy, for someone who says he's a Christian, he sure doesn't think and act like one. I don't want somebody to look at me and say, what a hateful, spiteful person. Oh, he goes to church? Hmm, tells you a lot, doesn't it? I want people to look and I want them to say, kind, gentle, loving, not just saying the Sermon on the Mount, living the Sermon on the Mount, a peacemaker, some things that run real contrary to some of our nature. But that's what God is wanting me to be and that's what he's trying to grow in me. Paul will get into that more and we'll get into that more next week. But right now we got to go to church. So let me bless you. Uh, God bless you. God, in the name of Jesus, I ask your blessing on all who hear this message. Convict us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment that is a not guilty judgment in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And then help us walk in those good works you've prepared for us to walk in, empowered by your Spirit, through whom we pray, Jesus, our Lord. Amen. See you guys next Sunday. Let's go to church.